Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. There were two more murders 15 miles away. We have a weird described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird religion. Morning. We have talked before on a number of occasions about the prison system and when it fails. But what about when the healthcare system fails and dangerous men talk their way out of security protocols? On October 4th, 1969, a man was born who was so manipulative that he had a whole hospital in the palm of his hands. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Peter Bryan, born October 4th, 1969, had his first brush with death when he was in his late teens. He was living in East London when, absolutely unprovoked, he attempted to throw a fellow resident out of a sixth-story window. There was a struggle during which Peter received a large gash on his head and the victim escaped. Both were questioned about the attack, but no further action was taken. Now, while this was the first time he attempted to take a life, it certainly wasn't his last. It also wasn't the last time a lapse in judgment left him free to harm someone else. Six years after this attack, Peter Bryan would kill for the first time. He was working at a clothing boutique in 1993 when, after stealing some clothes, he was fired. Furious, a week later on March 18th, Peter returned to the store, knocked the owner's 12-year-old son onto the floor, and then proceeded to beat their 20-year-old daughter, Nisha Sheath, to death with a claw hammer. The young boy watched the whole ordeal. Peter left the store and, about an hour later, high on marijuana, threw himself off a third-floor balcony in an attempt to take his own life. He survived and later pleaded guilty to manslaughter on the grounds of diminished responsibility. He was sent to Rampton Secure Hospital in 1994. By February of 2001, the hospital staff began noting his considerable progress and he was transferred to the John Howard Center after a six-month trial leave project. He was released into the care of a psychiatrist and a social worker. Now, here's where there was a problem. The psychiatrist and social worker both had no experience with manipulative murderers like Peter Bryan. So when he began showing progress, they helped him move into a hostel in North London where he was allowed to come and go as he pleased. They both stated that he continued to improve and believed him to be completely rehabilitated. They were even in the process of moving him to a more independent accommodation, stating he did not present any major threats to the population. But instead of flourishing like they expected, Peter was transferred to an open psychiatric ward at a hospital in 2004 after allegations that he had indecently assaulted a 16-year-old girl near his hostel. But they didn't send him there because of his inappropriate behavior. No, they sent him there because after he was caught blowing raspberries on the girl's stomach, the family threatened him. They moved him to the hospital for his own safety. 
This trust that everyone had in Peter allowed him to walk out of the mental health unit, head straight to a DIY shop to buy a claw hammer, knife, and screwdriver, and head to the apartment of a friend named Brian Cherry. Police were later called to the apartment, and when they entered, they saw a half-naked Peter standing inside, covered in dried blood and brandishing a carving knife. Brian's arms and one leg had been severed from his body, and parts of his flesh were cooking in a frying pan. When asked, Peter said, I ate his brain with butt. It was really nice. He was arrested and remanded to Bradmore Hospital on April 15, 2004. Ten days later, against protocol, Peter Bryan and a 60-year-old patient named Richard Loudwheel were left alone in the cafeteria of the facility. Staff came running when they heard two bangs coming from the dining room and found Richard lying on the floor, face covered with blood with strangulation marks on his neck. Knowing he was the only one in the room at the time, the staff went looking for Peter Bryan. When found, he admitted to strangling Richard with a piece of cord before smashing his head into the floor. He said that, since meeting Richard, he had gotten the urge to kill, and that, had he not been interrupted, he would have gone on to eat his flesh. Richard Loudwell, after surviving the initial attack, died in the hospital. On March 15, 2005, Peter Bryan pleaded guilty to two counts of manslaughter on the grounds of diminished responsibility, and was, finally, given two life sentences to be served in a prison. It's amazing that a man who committed murder when he was a young adult was able to take more lives while being in the care of professionals. That a diagnosed paranoid schizophrenic, convicted murderer, and cannibal was released from these facilities and given permission to walk freely. Two inquiries were made into Peter's case and those who treated him and faulted the National Health Service managers for leaving him in the care of an inexperienced social worker who had no mental health training meaning they had no clue just how much Peter was manipulating them. And the psychiatrist assigned to his case had never been responsible for the care of an admitted murderer. The reports also criticized the decision to reduce his medications after moving into the hostel. He complained to staff about the side effects, and they took him at his word. But in the end, they acknowledged that Peter was a talented man, able to function in a way that made it difficult for even experienced professionals to determine just how dangerous he was. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on October 5th. Don't forget to write and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, Stay safe. Thank you for listening to Morning Cup of Murder. This is a daily podcast that tells you what happened on this day in true crime history. In short, easy to listen to episodes that you can finish on your commute or while you enjoy your morning coffee. So make sure you check back every morning. My name is Karina. I am the creator and host. You can find Morning Cup of Murder on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I have also set up a Patreon where you can donate a small monthly contribution to the podcast. All those links are in the episode description. Thank you again, and have a wonderful day.